0: I'm Sadia Tariq and you're listening to Dhani the podcast. Parenting is not easy and mindful parenting is certainly not an easy journey to tread on. We are in conversation today with Masuma who has over 20 years of experience working as a facilitator and therapist. She has certifications from California and Amsterdam and currently resides in Beijing, China, teaches adults and children mindfulness. Hi, Masuma, and thank you so much for being on Dhani.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I am really looking forward to um, a conversation today because it's most pertinent to, to myself. I am a mother of two teenage kids. Um, But before that, I just wanted to ask you what brought you to this field um, and especially this niche field of mindfulness and conscious um, parenting.
1: Well, I think that, um, in terms of even arriving to first the field of studying psychology, I started off my career studying advertising and then I went to law school. Um, and basically after I finished law school and I worked, I did an internship in Karachi as a lawyer, I realized it was completely not a good match for me. And then my mom said, you know, now what would you like to do as a master's? And um I started reading about the degree and I was reading about it and I remember my heart was pumping and I was feeling this mix of excitement and sadness and like just like wow I I really need this and I want to do this and I think I've always sort of been one of those caregiver uh advice giver types which you know turns out psychology is very far from that um and now looking back, I think the reason I was attracted to it was because I had so much of my own personal healing to do. Uh, at the time, mm-hmm. I didn't truly know that until I went to graduate school and uh, did a lot of counseling and had supervisors and realized how much trauma and pain uh, I was carrying. And um, so that's where the journey began. And I worked mm-hmm. at a domestic violence shelter in Chicago for South Asian women and did crisis counseling there for uh, Urdu, Punjabi, Sindhi-speaking women. And I did that for four years while mm. I lived there. And uh, it was it was really intense, and I got burnt out and suffered from depression, went on anti uh, antidepressants. And what I didn't realize at the time was that I was actually experiencing PTSD while I was working in the crisis center because for some reason, there wasn't enough support in the U.S. And even in my interview at the crisis Council, they never asked me my history, you know, around trauma and violence. And there I was supporting women uh, and having had grown up in a a very violent home and experienced so much trauma. I just I had the empathy and the compassion. I really got them. But I was completely wiped out because I couldn't hold it. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, that was that was some some years ago and uh, from then you know i then i and then i realized and as i grew as a therapist i i also had this feeling like talk therapy just doesn't go anywhere we just keep going in circles right and then i went and got trained as a hypnotherapist in san francisco that felt better it felt like we were passing the conscious mind because as as a survivor myself of trauma i i spent a lot of time in my head and i know stuff like i can analyze it but i don't allow myself to feel it or experience it or release it on a deep level. It's all in the head. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, that was a very powerful point in my life. And then I moved back to Pakistan and I had a private practice here, which was really, really tough again because we have no social welfare system here. So I often had clients who were suffering incest, being raped by their family members, and they would come to my clinic and I had nothing I could do with them and just have to keep sending them back to these environments. So, um, And then my husband got a job as an expat in Kenya, and we started after a year, we moved there. And then since then, for 14 years, we've been moving from country to country. I've been following him uh, and also keeping my private practice alive. And it wasn't until we went Mm -hmm. to Hanoi that uh, I met a meditation teacher who came to Hanoi. He worked for Tony Robbins, but... He was South Indian, and he'd been meditating since he was four. And I remember that my husband, uh, my mom, and I, we all signed up for this course. And it was really life-altering. It opened up a whole nother world uh, for all of us. And um, that's where my meditation practice began. And the meditation practice was still not connected to mindfulness. It was still just, you know the quietening the mind, creating a focus, concentration, but the whole aspect of mindfulness, the actually living with presence wasn't there. Um, mm-hmm. Does that answer the question? Should I keep going?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah continue.
1: Anyway, so from there, I also started a, a fashion line while I was in Vietnam and I did, um, I did a lot of work around women's body image and um, used fashion to educate women and girls about a body image and I was blown away at that point um, just as a sidebar about, I mean, I must have had hundreds of clients. And I don't think I ever had a woman try on a piece of clothing and look in the mirror and be fully uh, not criticized something about her body. And mm-hmm. that was, again, you know, just as a side, really upsetting to me. So I, I did that kind of work for a while. And then uh, I moved to Thailand. And when I lived in Thailand, is that's when I did the teach, the training for Mindful Schools, where I got trained for a year through Mindful Schools in California to teach mindfulness to children. And it was an immersion program. And then we had a silent retreat at the beginning and at the end of the thing. And that was the first time I'd ever been in silence. I mean, I heard, I remember hearing years ago when we lived in Kenya that somebody came back from a ten day Vipassana, and I just remember thinking, "Oh my God, I would sooner rather die than have to be silent for ten days." Um, Hmm. And in fact, it's really funny because, yeah, in fact, research shows, like there was a study in uh, USC where they had students who could be paid money to either sit in a room and meditate for 20 or 30 minutes, or they could be given light electrocurrents and they would get paid, but they could choose which room they want to go in. That was a research project. And hmm. like 80% of students took the electrocurrents, then sit in a room by themselves with nothing. Um, So, I think this, the, the human, uh, you know, aversion to being with oneself completely without any distractions, handicaps, you know, anything to take you away from what's coming up is really scary. Uh, and, uh, anyway, so when I finish that and then, you know, the mindful parenting thing starts because I have three children. I have a 13 year old, almost 11 year old, and a 4 year old. And I think, um, I, I was always told when I was a, a teenager or younger that, oh, you, you, never, you don't have a temper, you never get mad. And I really prided myself on this, uh, you know, how I just never get mad. I mean, now I know that it, I was plenty mad. I just really repressed it because I didn't want to rock the boat. Um, but I remember after having my first daughter, when she was two years old and I couldn't get her to do what I wanted to do, and I couldn't control her, I began to experience rage. I wasn't angry. There was pure rage in my body that I had never mm-hmm. experienced before. And it scared me. And I didn't know what to do. And I felt like I had no template of, like, exactly how to raise this child. Um, no support system. And no resources. And I just, you know, I was, like, reaching in the dark all the time. So I read something about timeouts and that if the child doesn't sit in the timeout, you have to train them. So... Uh, for 25 minutes i clearly remember the day i kept taking her like it was like training a dog you know putting her in the chair and she'd come out and i'd take her back put her in the chair and of course and this went on for 25 minutes until she finally gave up and just sat in the chair and inside mm-hmm. i just i mean that's what i'd read and i felt like but really i didn't know what the hell i was doing and i just i just heard that you give time out and then the kids will listen because you know they're in like the naughty step or whatever it was and I was at a complete loss. And in my, in my gut, I knew that it just didn't feel right. Like, she looked sad and shamed. and her behavior didn't change, and I felt like shit. Um, and so I think that's when the seed, like, the awareness began that I need help. And it was, uh, and mm. I, the intention sort of set. I think I, I, I was calling for it for many years. But it wasn't so mm. she was maybe, six or seven when I started the mindfulness practice and uh, mm. so I have a lot of repair uh, work that I do with my teenager now uh, because she got the best version of me at that point and um, you know that version of me didn't have awareness uh, whereas my four year old mm. is completely different and uh, you would th- you know so people say oh she's so different and I'm like no she's not different no the kids are never different it's the parents that are different hmm um,
0: Hmm. So yeah, that's kind of. How so my question, yeah. So my question here is that. You know, there is when we're parents, there is a sense of superiority. So, with um, uh, with that that image of parental superiority, are we? And you know, that mission to kind of fix the child in some way or the other. Yeah. Are we? Are we going wrong? Are we shutting their inner voices? Just because we have to, we feel that the right thing to do is 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 on this mission to fix the child. And as you're saying, there's nothing wrong with the child. So why are we in that in that frame of mind where we feel that we have to fix them? That something's wrong.
1: Well, because it comes from a place of fear, right? So if you look at the places that you are triggered and you peel away some layers, what you're going to find is that there is some fear, and the fear creates. Stress response and we become reactive right so either we go into fight flight or freeze mode and we usually project into the future so I'll give you an example like if I you know my biggest trigger is my children on electronic devices and I have very strict rules around electronic devices and in fact I used to have rules and now I have agreements. so I've really changed because I also did this training mm-hmm. in positive discipline and um, what I learned from the positive discipline training really was about respecting and giving the child dignity and not treating them like someone inferior to you because then you create revenge, power struggles, and things, control and power can work in the short term, right, because you can take away their money and they're dependent on you, so, but is it any different between, you know, a king and a peasant or uh, white superiority ver- versus, you know, a black man or I mean, you look at any power dynamic and we're in the power dynamic. It's it's about you to mm. and and power to get someone to do what you want. Um, and, mm. But I think that the core of it is fear. And that when we begin, and mindfulness, what mindfulness does is it creates awareness slowly about your reaction. You begin to watch yourself and you discover that, wow, you know, this is crazy. Like my thoughts. I'm where I'm going so for example I open my daughter's bedroom door and I see her lying there and we had an agreement you know like she wasn't supposed to she had a certain amount of time on the iPad and I've seen that she's gone over the time and I walk in and you know in the past I'm getting much better at it I would just lose it and I'd be screaming at her and she's just looking at me like I look like a crazy person right I, I have lost the ability so then as I did this positive discipline training and did more mindfulness work, I remember I walked into her room and I said, Rhea, have you been on your iPad? Have you broken our agreement? And she said, yes, mom, I have. And I said, oh, dear, that's, that's a mm. real problem. I can really see that you're struggling with not being able to shut mm. things off. And she says, yes, mom, I am really struggling. And I said, I said, okay, so what can we do now? Like, this is a problem. Let's get together, you and me, and come up with a solution. So... She acknowledges that it's a problem, so I guess that makes it a bit easier for me. She doesn't push back, whereas my son does. And uh, she said, and she was shocked. And she says, so "You're not taking away my iPad." I said, "No. What am I going to get out of punishing you?" I said, "One day you're not going to mm-hmm. be living with me. Are you? Am I going to be there monitoring how much electronic time you you're on, or you know, you, you're gonna you're gonna have to learn." And that so that is the shift. The paradigm shift is about. Do you want short-term fix or do you want to teach? Because the word discipline in Latin means to teach. And I think especially from a South Asian point of view, discipline has a bit of a connotation of like being strict, right? Um, Correct. Control. But in, in fact, when you approach a problem like, hey, you know, I can see you're struggling and this is a problem. I'm on your team. What should we do? Like, come on, let's brainstorm some ideas. So she brainstormed with me. She said, well, I could. You know, you could use the parental lock and you could shut it down. Or maybe I should, uh, when I'm done, I should come give it to you so it's not in my room. We brainstormed a list of ideas and we tried them. And guess what? A week later, she broke the agreement again. And before, I would go into shame and blame. And I would say, like, you know, you didn't keep the agreement and and this is not working. You know, and I would have then taken the iPad, right? Like, you clearly are not ready for it. Or I would have given her some sleep. And I was like, wow, that didn't work. What else can we do? And she was shocked mm. at my response. And she told mm. me that she said, I feel respected. Um, and I said, good, because I, I respect you. And I want you to know that I respect you. And I think this that connection that it created between us, instead of guilt and shame, where she'll sneak it behind my back, you know, and then she'll feel a little bit guilty. But essentially, she'll get away with it. That dynamic really shifted.
0: Hmm. Mm. Um, I understand. So basically, and, and whilst you were talking, there were many times where you mentioned the word response. And as parents and as impatient parents, we end up reactive rather than responding. Yeah. So in essentially, we have to discipline ourselves. Yeah, I mean, it's actually... More than we have to discipline the child. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Dr. Shefali, I don't know if you've read her book,
1: the Conscious Parenting and other things. And, and that's really, like, she's very hardline about it. And she says there is no problem with any kid. There, you, you cannot, if you show me a child who's exhibiting uh, outwardly behavioral issues, it's coming from the family system. And until we address what's happening in the family system and the parents really take a good hard look at themselves, nothing is going to change. And I have the exact same view. So I do not work with children, like, one-on-one. I work with families. Mm. And, and, in fact, when people take my mindful parenting course, which is six weeks, three hours a week, uh, they come in thinking that, they sign up initially when I do the introduction, thinking that uh, they're going to get some, like, behavioral tips of, like, how to make their kids do what they want them to do, right? And I very quickly mm. put it out there, and I say, guys, I got you into the room. I tricked you. And now that you're here, I've got some bad news. <laughs> and... and That is, Mm -hmm. that you're really, the only way through this is if you do your own work. Because the healthier you are, the more conscious you are, the less reactive, the less shaming, the less blaming you are, automatically you'll see a difference in your child. And I've seen it over and over again. Every I must have taught about 140 parents by now. And I would say the Mm -hmm. feedback after midway into the course, parents come and tell me, I didn't try any behavioral techniques and I cannot tell you how different the energy in my home is. And then we talk mm-hmm. about it, and I say, what do you think is going on? And they're like, just, there's so many layers that I've peeled away. And the and the other really core thing about mindful parenting is we become conscious of the labels that we put on our children, or on, on anyone, in fact. But with children, children mm-hmm. tend to get labeled very quickly. So I do a very deep uh, exercise where we look at the positive stereotypes, like, oh, my child. this child is very extroverted, this child is very shy, you know? And it's like that becomes who they are. And there's no... Yeah, yeah. You know, this is the smart one, this is the athletic one. This is the whatever, you know? We've got tons of labels, right? Or this child is very selfish, this child is very giving. I mean, if you think about that, that is so painful to feel like you're a selfish child. And uh, mm. And even when I do work with adults in therapy, When we go through the the childhood pain, it's really about these these messages that they got from their parents. That that their value was based on their performance, how good they did. Um, you know, it 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 was never about the behavior. And it was never about like, hey, I'm noticing that you made a really selfish choice here. I'm wondering what's going on. Are you feeling Mm -hmm. sad or what's going on? Like to be more curious and ask them. Instead of because we are we are fearful, we are reactive, we just label it, right? And then we say it in the stress
0: response. Yes. Yeah, so come, coming back to this word fearful, um, so essentially, the inner lack or the inner brokenness or the unhealed parts within, we that all of that manifests itself in this fear. Which is then slapped onto the child, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean,
1: I always laugh and say, if I, if I didn't have any relationships, I if I lived on an island by myself, I wouldn't need to practice mindfulness. It it's all about. It only comes up in relationships, right? And uh, okay. there's a teacher Ramdas. He always says, if you if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. Yes. true, true. I mean, it's it's really easy to go on a retreat and be really calm and peaceful and relaxed and love the whole world. Um, but when you're with the cl- people you're closest to, that's when everything comes up. And when you make the shift and you start seeing your children as teachers, because you're done blaming other people for how you feel. And um, you you're, you're just, it's a, that's a huge paradigm shift. And I get caught in it still a lot, especially with my husband, right? I'm like, no, actually, if he just did that, then everything would be fine. Um, um, mm. And we, we do, we all get caught in it. It's not like, uh, you know, once you know it, it's done. And, 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 you know, the other, the really, other really profound thing that, that struck me, and I just taught uh, this mindful parenting class in China, and the Chinese culture is not that different from the Pakistani culture, for example. So one of the Chinese women said, um, my grandmother always said, don't ever make the same mistake twice. And mm-hmm. I thought about that, and I said, you know what, though? We all tend to make the same mistake over and over and over again. We usually don't make new mistakes, right? And it's kind of like that place that we're working on, it's not until you do a lot of work, is that's where the shift happens. And even for children, adults modeling, making a mistake and being okay with it, you know, uh, I mean, I remember- is a lesson. Yeah, it's, it's huge. And I remember when my kids were younger and, we, you know, we'd take them to eat ice cream and I'd be, like, freaking out because, oh, my gosh, this, you know, or, like, berries, you know, how berries stain on shirts. And I'd be like, oh, don't drop the berries, don't drop. And I, I, now, I took my daughter out for ice cream yesterday, my 4-year-old. And I told her, I said, we're going to put the napkin on, and if it drops, please enjoy your ice cream.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just relax. Yeah. I, I
0: mean. I know.
1: It's so small, but the amount of stress that that poor kid is facing, like, trying to balance an ice cream at the age of 3 or 4, and and that's basically the message Correct. is no you have to eat your ice cream perfectly you cannot make mistakes because your clothes will get dirty and then what's going to happen I don't know I mean I don't know why it, it seems like something horrible is going to happen right and then again I always say well then don't buy them the kind of clothes that they're gonna, that you're
0: attached to either right like so true so true so true I I totally agree with you because as you said it is rules versus agreement and it is Fair versus abundance, because if you give them that confidence in abundance that we are on their side, they will feel secure. Because in, 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 that, in that false sense of superiority, we are setting such rigid and hard rules for themselves and for ourselves that they end up uh, feeling insecure. And that's the worst thing that a parent could do to a child, right? Where they don't feel secure in their own house with their own parents. Yeah, it
1: is. And we all do it. So the other thing I would say, because I, I, I will say that as I listen to many talks about parenting, when I went to my mindful parenting training in Amsterdam, I remember, like, the second day just, like, crying because I just felt so much guilt that I really, like, I really messed up and I screwed up my kids and, you know, I didn't know this and, like, whatever. I, there was a lot of guilt and shame coming up, you know, in that moment. And I, I've also, one of my other favorite programs is Mindful Self-Compassion. And I really learned to be like, you know what? did the best you could at that time and now the intention is to be more conscious and it's okay and and really striving to be a good enough parent there's there's a book out there called good enough yeah and, um, but really bringing it down you know and and also I noticed that and mindfulness talks about this that when you're in the crisis like if you're having a fight with your child or especially you know teenagers where you know things are wrong and you, you feel the perspective In that moment, the world becomes very small for us, and we really start thinking, I suck, my family sucks, kids are a mess, everything is a mess, and the whole mindfulness practice is like, no, it's just this moment, and it's actually ebb and flow, you know, this too shall pass, and there will be a better moment, and then there will be not such a good moment again, and that's okay, because that's life. You know, I, I feel like I've been attached to this fantasy of what a perfect harmonious family would look like, you know, and and I I used to be very stressed on a Saturday, like, what's our plan? What are we going to do to stimulate our children? Where are we going to go? How are we going to go outside? I mean, my energy was so high strung because of this fear that I'm not giving them the best. You know, and so it really goes back to, enough. Yeah. It goes back to, I'm never enough, they're never enough, you know, this never enough is a real deep place within all of us and yeah we come from a society that feeds that right it's like yeah you, that project looks great but what could you have done better that's and we mm-hmm. the intention that parents and teachers may have is like they're trying to motivate the child or create a self critique or reflection and yet you think about it and it's like what are we actually saying? that yeah i mean okay yeah it's acceptable but why don't you want to be better than that and better than that but the, the finish line never it just keeps moving it never stops and yeah. my very wise daughter you know who i've learned so much from i remember at the age of eight when she started shutting down she just she stopped showing me her homework she wouldn't read to me um because i was so hypercritical especially of the first child like i just I don't know why. I just thought she should be like fluently reading by the age of four. And it was a complete reflection on my own inadequacy that I couldn't get her to read. Where in fact, you know, a lot of kids Mm -hmm. don't read at four and it doesn't really matter. But it was like I had to get her up to some speed, you know. And I remember she walked up to me one day and she said, Mom, it's never enough for you. You always,
0: always Mm -hmm. look at what
1: I'm not doing right. And I never feel good enough. And she stopped sharing. And she really shut down. Mm -hmm. I've had to do a lot of work to get her to share,
0: hmm. and it's still not. I would imagine this is true for any any sort of relationship where there is always that 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 sense of checking things, of of perfection, of doing, of achieving, of accumulating, of just running faster than the other. Whereas it's just about being right, just about being, just about being human, right? Yeah, it- we don't let them be. We just are on their toes or on our own toes to just do, do, do. Yeah, I mean, I, Where I just want to... Sorry. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, I was just wanting to ask you, as you said, about this uh, self-compassion. Um, what is self-compassion? So
1: self-compassion is literally... Um, Not a theory. It is actually a step-by-step process. Like it is a practice that you sort of set the intention, and it's and I'll I'll just go through what the three steps are. They're very simple, and you just sort of set the intention. Like when you notice that you make a mistake or you feel horrible about, how do you offer yourself the the unconditional love and kindness that you would offer someone you deeply love? And the problem is most of us have never received that as a child. So we are reparenting ourselves constantly. right? So self-compassion is literally like if I made a mistake, I would stop. Like, for example, my daughter was going on a field trip and the alarm didn't go off. And, you know, it was the entire fifth grade. So they're like 200 kids waiting in a parking lot, waiting for her to come. And the teacher started calling me and I was like, oh, my God. And so we had to rush her to school. And she had to get, you know, everyone was waiting on her. And I think in the past that would have really rocked me and I would have felt so ashamed and felt ashamed for my daughter and like explained myself. And since the self-compassion practice came in, I just, so the practice is the first is the mindfulness part where you just notice that, wow, this feels like shit. Like I feel like crap right now and this is really mm-hmm. hard for me. Um, I can feel it in my body. So there's a, there's a lot of body awareness and connection because theory Mm -hmm. is that um, problems cannot be uh, solved at the level that they were created. So using your mind Mm -hmm. to think through something is usually not going to work. And also in order to be responsive you have to feel the emotion in your body because the mind will hijack very quickly. But the body won't lie. The body will give you you know your heart will start racing. You'll feel yourself sweating. So that is a really good way to put the brakes on because you're noticing the body so during self-compassion you know you're noticing that wow like my heart is pounding and my palms are sweating and this is a really tough moment and then you offer yourself words which in the beginning feels very corny and a little bit awkward um you know you but you usually i put my hand on my heart or make some skin contact to give myself that comfort and i'll just say to myself things that i need to hear in that moment like okay you know you made a mistake and and it's okay it's going to be okay uh and mm-hmm. i've got you and you know
0: wh- whatever whatever
1: feels natural to you in your own language and thirdly you take a second to just reflect like how many other mothers in this world right now have probably done exactly the same thing or felt exactly the same emotion, right because they made a mistake and you Sort of because, like I said before, otherwise our focus becomes very narrow and we feel alone and isolated and then we get stuck in that shame cycle. So this is a way of opening up and being like, I'm not alone. You know what? In the grand scheme of life, I made a mistake and it's okay because other people are making the same mistake. Yeah. And sort of breathing through that and offering yourself, and it's not like you do it once and you're like, fine, I'm, I'm good now. And it, and the, also, the intention is not to make yourself good, like feel perfectly fine and get over it. The intention is to just offer it, just to be there for yourself in that moment. Otherwise, mm-hmm. the critic comes up and crea- and that's where the suffering begins. The, the onslaught of criticism, self-judgment, that's what we are moving away from.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and so basically, it's being radically um, uh, merciful to ourselves and trusting ourselves to know that it's okay to make a mistake. And as you said, it's about striving, right? To make things okay, first, it's internal healing. So the internal vision needs to be really strong and having that trust to hold ourselves upright. as, As you said, you know, I'm here for you. You say that yourself and then... Only will the external situation get better. Otherwise, we're just caught up, right, all the time in this in this vicious cycle.
1: And, absolutely. and also you'll notice when you start having a serious self-compassion for yourself, you can actually contact that tenderness, you begin to have it for others, not just theoretically. Correct. You can really feel your child or your spouse or your mother or whoever, you can feel their struggle. And, and you're not judged, you're not as judgmental. Because you see that they're just, you know, and of course this doesn't mean, again, you can make amends when you make a mistake, right? So it's not saying, I'm, it's not, you know, I, I'm okay, I didn't mean to do it, and I'm off the hook. But it's, it's actually more honest, right? It's, it's It's more sincere because you've given yourself that, and you can say to the other person, what can I do to make this right? So in mindful parenting, mm-hmm. there's something called repairing the rupture. And it's about when you do lose it with your kids and you are reactive, it's never too late to repair the rupture. And in fact, the more times you repair the rupture, the less harmful effect, you know, the losing it will have. Because children mm-hmm. are so forgiving. You know, they do, they especially mm-hmm. as if when they're younger, they do forgive a lot. They say, no, I don't know if you've ever apologized to a young child. And they say, it's okay, mommy, I love you. You know, they don't yeah. want to it. Um but for me, the repairing the rupture, especially, you know, with my older daughter as well, I always say, okay, you know, this is... I know, I'm know i sorry, I walked into your room and I totally lost it. I went into a fear state. It's not your problem. It's mine to work on. And I apologize. What yeah. can I do to make this happen? Yeah. How can I repair this rupture? How can we reconnect? You know, and she'll usually say something like, let's go on a date and have coffee. Um,
0: and mm-hmm. they, they
1: don't ask for material good because children will pick every time connection over anything if, if you really oh yes it, right that's what yeah do. and coffee yeah
0: <laughs> coffee for me for sure but you're absolutely right as you said it's the moments that they're looking for it's the experiences that they're looking for rather than things and we we kind of, as you said we we kind of get lost in in trying to keep them stimulated, trying to keep them active um and and we, we the energy is totally dissipated where it whereas it should be going towards giving them special compassionate experiences and moments,
1: yeah, I mean absolutely. you know it is really hard to be fully present with your child for most people i mean yeah. i a conundrum, but for like try being fully present, no telephone, one hour of just being completely tuned into what they are saying, watching their face, letting go of the judgments and labels, and truly just seeing them as if you've never seen them before. And this is an exercise again we do in the class, and um, I-, I ask people to observe their children, and I ask them to think, to write down what they're thinking, feeling, their body reactions, and I ask them like. I want you to see your child like you've never seen them. Because the only time that we probably had that moment fully was when we held the baby for the very first time. That was probably mm. the purest moment because we had not seen their personality. Oh, you know, because think how quickly it begins, the labels. Oh, does your baby sleep at night? No. So you have a cranky baby, you know? So you have not easy yeah. I mean, it starts really early, the labels. Easy baby, hard baby, colic baby. Um... And then everyone is reacting to this person based on their labels. And we are no longer yeah. able to see the, yeah. the whole person. Or even that maybe that's just one thing that is a behavior in this moment. It's not forever. It's just right now, it's like this, you know? And then next moment, it'll be something else. Um, so this is a really powerful exercise that, you know, I, I would offer the listeners to try. Just pull back one moment, you know, and just from afar, Really look at your child. Look at their face. Look at their eyes. Look at the way they move their body. A lot of parents who've done this exercise say things to me like, oh, my gosh, I I forgot how little they are. Even the teenagers, right? Like, I forgot to see their youngness because I get so lost in what I think they should be doing that I treat them much older than they really are.
0: Hmm. So, how so true, but again, yeah, and then it's about just changing that internal vision, expanding that inner landscape, and only then will we be able to see the child or any other relationship with clear eyes, with from, an, from a very, very non-judgmental uh, and non-abusive platform. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, how how beautiful is that? Where, as you said, it's nothing wrong with the child, and they are our teachers, uh, rather than uh, being consumed with the fact that we need to fix them. They're actually, in turn, fixing us. If only we, we we could learn.
1: Yeah, of course, absolutely, and yes, and they're here to teach us our their you know our lessons, and we are here to teach them as well. And you know, and when when parent, when I tell when I teach positive discipline, and I say so the. You know, uh, the basis of this program is no punishment, no reward. And people are like, "Then how are we going to get the child to listen to us?" And and, mm-hmm. and that always makes me laugh. And I and I said, "Well, do you want long-term benefits or short-term? Because short-term, yes, yeah, you can punish and reward, and you'll get what you want. And long-term, they're not going to come visit you when you're old <laughs> because you only use power. <laughs> you know, you use power. You you you'll never be as close. And and I, I really, I really believe that. And so I really, I'm done. I'm done with the rewards. And like, so I give my children pocket money. And they were like, so what are we, what are we having to do for this? And I said, nothing. And they're like, so do we have to do chores? Yeah. And I said, yeah, you're going to do chores because you're contributing to your family. That's just because we're all in this together and we have a home and we got to take care of it. And that's it. Like you don't get rewarded yeah. because we live here and we have to clean up, right? I mean. The more I think about it it yeah and and I feel like when when I when I speak to them with this honesty like hey guys like give me a hand you know like please help out they, they mm. help out because they, because I'm not shaming blaming I'm not trying to bribe correct I'm just like guys help me out and sometimes' those they'll, there they'll, some mm. push that and then I'll say okay you know and and the program also believes in natural consequences which is kid forgets their bag from school uh, uh, you know
0: their school bag at home
1: then you don't take the school bag so you let them so that's yeah. not shaming it's kind of like just the natural concept letting,
0: letting them learn, learn. Yeah, yeah i mean
1: you learn you're but but the intention is not like you could they could call you from school and you could still shame them and say well you weren't responsible and like you've done this before and that you know You can say, "I know, honey. I this sucks. I'm really sorry. I'm sure your homework is in the bag, and I'm sorry. This is going to be tough. I feel for you. And we'll, you know, and if you're having a hard time remembering to take your bag when you come home, we can we can talk about solutions. Like we can brainstorm ways to help you remember. And I can't bring the bag. Mm. So it's kind. Mm. It's kind and firm. So all the, the yeah the dialogue is kind and firm. So it's not permissive parenting either. And it's not, authori- like, the authoritarian parenting. It's just in the middle. Where I respect you, you respect me. But if you do something, then there's some, you know, consequences that naturally follow. But the way I talk to you is, you know, and this happens within between adults as well. You know, you see husbands and wives and stuff like True. You know, you leave your passport at home or something and maybe your husband will say something. You know, we shame each other as adults, like. We're not compassionate like oh damn, I'm so sorry, honey, that sucks you know yeah th- there's no like this more like I told you to check, why didn't you check you should have checked you're so irresponsible you never think of you know this yeah. the trajectory we launch into mm.
0: yeah, that I told you so phrase is just so wrong, and uh it 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 just heavily weighs down because it's full of of the fact that I was right and you're wrong and you always are
1: I mean you're just crazy.
0: So just coming towards the the end of the discussion you can you just tell me uh, you're in Karachi right now and you will be having a workshop very soon yeah.
1: So I I'm and Karachi, and the workshop is going to be two days and it's uh, not this weekend but next week and I'm going to mix mindful parenting with the positive I don't usually do that. So generally, I teach a six-week mindful parenting class, and we do a lot of, like, inner work and learning meditation tools to create, you know, grounding so that we are not reactive. And then I teach positive discipline as a level two. And and I always say, I can give you all the tools in the world, but if you can't stay out of the fear, the blame, the shame, you won't be able to use the tools effectively. So... The tools mm-hmm. have their space, like all these things I'm telling you, the kind and firm and encouraging versus praising, you know, you can learn the language. But you usually if you're not grounded, you can't use it. You you're not in the capacity to like think that way mm mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm.
0: Oh, how wonderful. Uh, And all those listeners who are listening, um, I strongly suggest that you attend this workshop. I wish I was there to do that. Masuma, just before you leave, can you leave uh, us with three top tips that you um, have learned over the years and whilst you've been dealing with uh, um, parents and children? Yeah, uh, you know, the top tips
1: have to come Very humbled by this I always say, if I wasn't teaching this, I would probably. It. So I need this as much as anybody else does. Just, just myself and myself. and the, the couple of things that the paradigm shift is to remember that the reason we assign the blame on the child is because usually we don't want to feel the uncomfortability of whatever is or we feel fully helpless, and we don't know what to do. So we're like, we need to fix the kid, or my kid is acting out, and my kid has a temper. And if you just turn it around, usually whatever your feeling is, the kid is feeling free. And just keep that in mind. And remember that the outward behavior is not what's really going on. The outward behavior is just the tip of the iceberg. And if you look underneath, there's usually a need to belong, and a need to feel capable. And children act out because they don't know how to communicate, and the parents get hooked in this acting out behavior, and then we create this cycle of, uh, you know, verbal violence, pain, and blame, and disconnection. Whereas if you could be the adult, and deal with your own triggers and fears, you could actually look at the kid and be like, "This is a little kid He just doesn't know how to express what's really going on." Um, so that is something I would encourage you to about. And secondly, like I said, the labels are really, really lethal and dangerous. So explore your own labels. You know, think about all the things that you were labels that were put on you that now you're putting on them. And and what what was that what was that like for you? How was it to be trapped? Thirdly, short term versus long You know, punishing, rewarding. Something you. you know, for those of you who have teenagers, you know, there will come a point where they'll just say, "Well, I'm moving into my friend's house." This, this is another generation. This is not. We we were still a little more submissive, I think. But this generation is just going to say, "I'm out of here," you know. So, as parents, none of us want that. So I think the only way is to create agreement, conversations. Half family meetings, and last week, because you're gonna have good days, you have bad days, and just keep telling yourself, and just good enough I'm just doing the best I can. Um, as long as you have the intention to awake, and be conscious around what
0: Wow! Wow! Thank you so very much. It's been absolutely wonderful talking to you and it's just kind of mind-boggling. And at the same time, it's opened up um, so many avenues, so many solutions, um, and just so much of uh, being conscious and being mindful and being aware of ourselves. Thank you so thank much, you, Masuma. Thank
1: you for giving me the opportunity to uh, I, I really love the podcast platform. So thank you so much for the
0: thank you and best of luck with your workshop and you take care bye thank you so much for listening and we would be most humbled if you can leave us with a comment, a rating or a suggestion thank you